So did the guy at the end of There is a Solution. I'm sorry. The guy at the end of More About Alcoholism. He said, I wouldn't go back to it even if I could. And the, and the guy that at, at the end of More uh, We Agnostics says, I couldn't drink even if I would. God restored this sanity. So if God takes you to a place where you see you can't drink even if you wanted to, in a fit spiritual condition, then any idea that I have a choice is the insanity, if this is the sanity. Wait till we look at the 10-step promises. The ones, those of you with unfinished amends, never quite get to. Goad, 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 goad. So chapter 5, how it works, for lack of a better, we're going to call this section 6, step 3, bottom of page, I'm sorry, page 58 to the bottom of page 62. First half of step three is going to outline the spiritual path and the first requirement. That is, that I be convinced that my life run on my self-will can already be a success. And then once I'm convinced of that, I'm going to consider the third step decision on page 62. I'm going to continue turning statements into questions, and I'm going to consider them. I've never understood this either. I sit in meetings, and I hear sometimes, you know, I don't know how it works. I don't understand that. There's a whole chapter that says how it works. It's another thing of the ego, right? I'm always recovering. I don't know how it works, and I'll probably be sick till I die. Right? But and 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 I'd like to bring up the topic of humility. <laughs> what a cock I'm still back on what he said about page 52 that describes every problem you ever hear in a meeting. And if it's, if 52 describes untreated alcoholism, then every one of us, whenever we go to a meeting from now on and somebody wants to bring up having trouble with personal relationships or their emotional nature or misery or depression or not being able to make a living or having trouble with happiness or fear or not being able to be of real help to other people, you should say, oh, you want to talk about untreated alcoholism, right? <laughs> now, that would liven it up a little bit. And then you could throw in, oh, you're not sure that your untreated alcoholism has anything to do with you drinking alcohol again. Am I correct? Right. See what could actually happen in a meeting where anybody could ask anybody anything they want. Our group's been doing that for 10 years. Right. We found a new one not too long ago. My friend Brian, I told you about Brian. Brian has no investment in anybody in AA liking him. He's not a speaker. He doesn't care if he's ever asked to speak. He likes to sit in his living room with other alcoholics and take him through this process. So one night, once in a while, uh, Brian will make uh, throw out a question. Usually he calls it throwing up a soft one to me. He'll throw up a question that he wants to hear me share on. So he'll throw the question up. Somebody the other night said uh, after Brian asked me one of those softball questions so I could – say what I wanted to say. Somebody said, I'd like to ask Brian a question. Would you respond to your last question? It was great. Great time to review. Are you willing to go to any length and do you still want what these people have when you get to it on that page? Another great question, when you read that first paragraph, and we don't need to go through it, but I guess he could read it if he wants to, is does the first paragraph and how it works describe you? Or those poor people in AA that aren't going to make it. And I'll tell you what, until I did everything up to page 58, the first paragraph and how it works described you poor people that weren't going to make it. When I did everything up to page 58, the first paragraph and how it works met me where I was, and I was the first paragraph on page 58. 
I'll bet a bunch of you in here did not think you were in this group who suffer from grave emotional mental disorders. Am I right? We've just seen by exploring the first and second step that every one of us suffer from grave, great word, grave, <laughs> grave mental and emotional difficulties that will take us to the grave, right? So our stories will disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened to us, and what we're like now. Now. You've decided you want then. Then. <laughs> you've decided what you want we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it. Then you're ready to take certain steps. Now and then. Some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. You ever heard one of those speakers, what it was like, what it was like, what it what was, was like, because like, nothing's like. happened, and that's why it's still the same way it was? I was at a speaker meeting one time at the Colorado State Convention next to that kind, loving, humble woman I told you has been doing the work 39 years that runs the Denver Central Office. This guy was 55 minutes still drunk. She leaned over at me with this look on her face, and she said, I think I want him to get sober more than his own family did. For me, when, it, when I go listen to a speaker, it's pretty easy to tell if someone where they're at with their current experience just in listening to the talk. I get scared to death when a speaker says, I'm not going to talk much about drinking. Because <laughs> I know we're going to hear a lot about drinking. And, and my... My experience with that is is the reason you're hearing a lot about drinking is there's not much current experience with sobriety. Somebody gets up to the podium and says, um, oh, I don't have much to say tonight. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we thought we could find an easier, softer way. We could not. So, with all the earnestness in our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Let me address that a minute. Page 28 says, seek recovery with the desperation of a drowning man. This begs of you, if you're new, to be fearless and thorough. How many of you have gone to meetings of AA and heard, take your time? How about this one? Wait to work the steps till you feel better. Do you ever expect to feel better, work the steps, right? Here's one I heard not too long ago. I thought I was going to shoot the guy. He said, the fourth step will get you drunk. Here's another thing I want to share with you. Old Sam Sam Fudbucker with 30 years sobriety, who sits and says when he was six months sober, he wrote an inventory in a matchbook, right? And everyone in the club likes to have Sam as a sponsor because he's got 30 years. They worship 30 years. we got a big thing in Texas now. We're worshiping long-term sobriety. So they're worshiping Sam Fudpucker, who tells you he wrote an inventory in a matchbook when he was six months sober. Let me tell you something. He's not 30 years sober. He took a six-month experience and repeated it 60 times. I don't want shit he's got. I'm interested in your current experience. He's six months sober 60 times. <laughs> he's easy to spot. He's always talking about when he came in. Well, when I wrote inventory back in 1956, I saw that I am really selfish. But I haven't hurt anybody in a long time, and I hardly ever get angry. We recently had a, a gentleman come to, he moved to Kerrville, and in our group I told you, you have five minutes to share, we have a bell, and we're very clear in our format, we want your current experience with the topic. And it came time for this guy to talk on what the subject was, which was the fourth step. And he said, I don't have anything to say. And afterwards, 
He asked a guy in the group who's four years sober to take him back through the steps. If you're sitting going to meetings and what's coming out of your mouth is your past experience, you're not having a current one. You're not living in the presence. See? That's one thing about tapers as well, by the way, are speakers. What I look for in the tapers, the talks that have helped me are the ones where I'm hearing a different experience all the time. You're hearing the same shit over and over again from a speaker. You're not hearing any current experience. We close every meeting with, give us this day our daily bread. The book warns us, Mark, do not rest on your laurels. You know what my laurels are? What I did last night before I went to bed. There's guys that you heard 20 years ago, you heard them last week. Every little niche, every little wink, every little nod, every little gift, every little... I don't know how in the world they do it. Produce tears upon certain sentences, for God's sakes. Cry. <laughs> Cry on cue. Right? You know there's speakers that don't have home groups? Do you know there's speakers that are so busy speaking they don't have time to work with others? I know a speaker that will not speak on weekdays at home where he lives because he's too busy speaking on weekends. I know a man that worked at the general service office that didn't have a home group when he was promoted to a place. I hope I'm never doing more of this than I am in my living room with another alcoholic. I heard a speaker one time, he told the woman in his life he used to say that he loved more than anybody in the world, her and her son, and he asked her to marry him. And she said, as they were considering this marriage, would you ever consider for my son and I, if we needed you, to cut back on your speaking? He said, not only would I not consider cutting back on my speaking, I wouldn't even consider being with somebody who would ever ask me that. And I thought, if I ever got like that, you might as well just take me out back and shoot me. I told Mark a story a couple of weeks ago that I read that just nailed me. And it's about a, a, a hunter goes into the bush to search for food for his family. He's looking through the bush and he comes across his skull, dried white skull. And just as a joke, he says to the skull, what brought you here? Of course, he didn't expect an answer, but the skull said, speaking brought me here. And the guy is like blown away and he runs back to the village and he goes to the palace right to the king and he goes up to the king and he said, I was out in the bush and I found a skull that talks. The king said, I've never heard of such a thing. Let me get the wise man and the shaman and the medicine man and all the wise people. He brings them into the palace. None of them have ever heard of anything like that. And the king says, if you can take one of my guards back to the bush to the talking skull, you'll be the most famous man in the village because no one has ever heard of anything like that. So he takes the guard. He said, I need to, the king says, I need to tell you one thing, though. If the skull doesn't speak, the guard's going to kill you. The man says, well, he's confident. He, he saw the talking skull. The skull talked to him. He's going to take the guard out into the bush, and they find the skull. And he says, skull, I think it's interesting, the dead skull. He says to the dead skull, speak. Not a word. Nothing but silence from the skull. He tried to cajole the skull, he tried to threaten the skull, he tried to entice the skull, he tried to pay the skull. Not a word from the dead skull. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? So this goes on all day. The sun's starting to go down. The guard says, hey, I'm getting tired. you got one more shot. And the guy remembers, I haven't tried the thing that made him talk the first time. And he says to the skull, what brought you here? Not a sound. One chop, whoom, the guard chops off the hunter's head. And the head falls next to the skull. 
The guard goes back to the village to see the king and tell him the news, and as he walks away, the dead skull says to the head, What brought you here? And the head said, Speaking, brought me here. He called me two weeks later. He said, I don't think I can speak anymore for a while. <laughs> Let me tell you how the process works. So about six or eight months ago, I began to get resistance because for about three years, uh, Joe has been doing this uh, longer, but for about three years, uh, uh, I've been devoting a lot of time to uh, working with alcoholics, a lot of it one-on-one in my living room, but speaking. And my favorite thing is doing retreats and workshops and uh I've been getting a lot of resistance within myself, and if you're awake in the 10th step, by God, you begin to pay attention. And in my 11th step, I'm also uh, an oblate in the Order of St. Benedict, and I'm working with the rule of life. And one of the things that kept speaking to me was about silence and putting a guard over the mouth. And, uh, and, and I mean, it was working on me. And I'd written up about two pages of different quotes I'd found in different books about silence and putting the guard over their mouth and the tongue holds the key to life and death and just little stuff like that and uh i've been praying for god you know show me what what, where's this resistance coming i mean if i'd even go to speak to a little group somewhere this resistance would come up and i mean to the point where i I literally when i would go up and i would start i didn't know if i was going to be able to say a word or not and i and the spirit would take over and i would talk and the talks were getting shorter, and sometimes right in the middle of it, I'd just stop, and I'd stand and look at y'all for about 30 seconds. <laughs> that gets the room real uncomfortable when you're the speaker, too. But anyhow, when Joe told me that joke, you know, I keep praying, God keeps showing me, what do you want me to do? And when he told me that story, because Joe and I's paths have been so parallel, even though we've been living in different states and stuff. So we're real awake around each other's experience, because sometimes it speaks to us. And when he told me that joke, I said, my decision is made. <laughs> what you know? Why are you here, right? Speaking. So let's go on. Some of us try to hold on to our old ideas. The results nil until I let go. Absolutely. Remember, we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it alcohol is too much for you. But there's one who has all power. That one is God. If He's got all power. How much do you have? But what if the what if the extent to which you think you have any at all is what's preventing you from getting from him? And if you don't have an experience with step one, why would he give you any more than what you already think you have? Excuse me? If he has all the power. And I mean, I, I doubt if anyone in this room hooked up to 220 current this morning and got your batteries going, right? You woke up and, I mean... Can you can you create your own breath? Probably not. Hell, probably the truth is none of you are doing, yeah, it's a trigger. None of you are probably doing anything in your own power, right? You might be getting a touch of that. So it probably is the truth. He, he has all the power, right? But if you haven't had any experience with step one. We know who we're using for theater of the line now, don't we? Yeah, we do. But if you haven't had an experience with step one. And the powerlessness of step one, how can you get opened up to be given more power than what you already have? That's what kills long-term sobriety, righteousness. They're full of themselves. They're full of themselves. See, this is about staying open, letting this power continually move through over and over in the death of self-will over and over and over again. And if I haven't done that, then then I'm choked. This is a good time to reaffirm your commitment to the rest of the steps when you read the steps in the short form. So you're reaffirming on the previous page, 
have you decided what, what these people you want what these people have and are you willing to go to any length to get it and make the third step decision deciding about four through twelve deciding about the rest of the work this is what I'm committing to do you get to the paragraph before the ABCs it's another part of the book that you don't understand the paragraph until you do everything up to the paragraph how many of us like me what in the world did I think this paragraph meant the description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. What do they mean? But when I did everything in the description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and looked at my personal adventures, drunk or sober, before or after the first drink, that work made clear three ideas. So then I heard it different. The description of the alcoholic, step one. The chapter to the agnostic, step two and my personal adventures before the first drink and after the first drink, drunk or sober, has made clear that I'm alcoholic and cannot manage my own life, bodily, mentally, spiritually. That no human power can relieve my alcoholism. Step two. And that I'm willing to believe that God can, never had a problem with that because of you people, and that he will for me. That's the one I've always had trouble with. Not only at the third step, but at the seventh step. It causes me to pause. Do I believe that not only God can, but that he will? For me. For me, as I am. A lot of us think we got to clean up to go to God. Will he as I am, right now, with all this stuff? If he were sought. Remember, I read that at the end of We Agnostics, about seeking. Now, here he is again. How do we seek? How does this program tell us how to seek God? It's a program of action, isn't it? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Action. Being convinced of those three pertinent ideas, we're now at step three. Which is that you will decide, not turn your will and your life over. Decide to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. As you understood him. Just what do we mean by that, and just what do we do? There's another one of those questions they're going to answer in a couple pages. But before they tell you what they mean or why you need to make this decision, there's a requirement. So we'll come back to what do they mean by deciding, and how do you do that? How do you make the decision? But there's a requirement, and that is I need to be convinced that my life run on self-will cannot be a success. And let's let him take us through that and put ourselves in there and see, because they don't think you're convinced of that requirement yet. They just want you to be convinced of the ABCs based on the work you've done up to them. So now we're going to look at how you come to terms with, you see, let me pose this question. Why would anybody in this room decide to turn their will and their life over to God if they still thought running their life on their will could be successful? The only reason anyone in this room will decide to turn their will and their life over is when you see that your life run on your will does not work. Why doesn't it work? So, again, bring, bring, and bring it current as we go through this. This is where reading the first person is so critical. First requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on my self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, running my life on my will, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody even though my motives are good, you people pleasers. They're what? I, I said, even when my motives are good, you people pleasers. Don't walk up to me and tell me you're an alcoholic and a people pleaser. 
They don't fit in the same basket. Book said, Mark, even when your motives are good. Hmm. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. I try to live by self-propulsion. I'm like an actor. I want to run the whole show. God, I can just start to feel it every time I read this. Doesn't it feel it? Can't you feel it? I'm forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, all the rest of the players in my own way. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wish, the show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. No delusion in that. <clears throat> Life would be wonderful. Isn't that amazing? I not only think that if things go my way, I'll be happier, but I think if things go my way, you'll be happier, too. <laughs> How <laughs> oh, Rob <laughs> In trying to make these arrangements I may sometimes be quite virtuous I may be kind Considerate, patient, generous Even modest and self-sacrificing Nice alcoholics Scare the shit out of me On the other hand I may be mean, egotistical, selfish And dishonest But as most humans I'm going to more likely to have varied traits What usually happens any alcoholic that smiles a lot is really angry. The show didn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. So I decide to exert myself more. Huh, anytime I don't get my way, live my life in self-will, life don't treat me right, I'm going to take a course of action. I'm going to exert myself more to get my way. I become on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play doesn't suit me. It may have to be somewhat at fault, teeny little bit. I am sure other people are more to blame. Yes, yes. I played a part, but she... Meeting cry of assholes. Yes, but. <laughs> I become angry, indignant, self-pitying. Well, what's my basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? You people, pleasers, highlight that. Am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Have I been a victim of the delusion that I can get satisfaction and happiness out of this world if I only manage well? Is it not evident to the rest of the players, all these other people in my life, these are the things I want? Oh, my God, they caught me. And do not my actions highlight that. My actions, my actions make them wish to retaliate. Snatching all they can get out of the show. Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer confusion rather than harmony? So in the fourth column, you're going to examine the actions <laughs> that made people wish to retaliate. I am self-centered. Now, self-centered doesn't mean I think too much of myself or too little. It just means I think way too often of myself. <laughs> There's another line I wanted to mention, and that's back a few lines where it talks about the play. We're going to examine the play in the third column, and we're going to examine your actions that made others wish to retaliate in the fourth column. We're going to make the play come alive right here in the room. And he's like the retired businessman who lolls on the floor of sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. We're going to come back to him. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. We're going to meet both of them. They're here in the room, hiding. The minister and the businessman. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. Politicians and reformers, it would sure all be the utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. 
Mr. AA, who knows how AA is supposed to be ran, he's in the room, too. <laughs> the, outlaw, the outlaw is in the room who thinks society's wronged him. And then the alcoholic who's lost all is locked up. Poor, poor me. So that paragraph describes a few characters in this play that doesn't suit us. So whatever my protestations, am I not concerned with myself, my resentments, or my self-pity? So they're describing living a life driven by self-will, aren't they? Selfishness, self-centeredness. By the way, definition of self, an individual's consciousness of his own being or identity, ego. So selfishness, self-centeredness, that I think is the root of my troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, I step on the toes of my fellows and they retaliate. Uh, let me give you a definition of driven, because I really want to present you all with something. Some of you have been sober for a while. I have much experience with being sober, being driven through sobriety by my self-will, thinking that I make, thinking that I'm aligned with the will of God, making choices. So here's the definition of driven. To create or produce by penetrating forcibly. <laughs> to carry through vigorously to conclusion. To force or thrust into or from a particular act or state. So let's go back and read this again. When I'm into my selfishness and self-centeredness, which is the root of my trouble, I'm being driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. And when that happens, I'm going to step on the toes of my fellows, column one, and they're going to retaliate, column two. Sometimes they're going to hurt me, column three, seemingly without provocation. I didn't do anything. But I will invariably find that at some time in the past... I have made decisions based on self, column four, which later placed me in a position to be hurt. Hmm. Where was that? Do that again. I don't know if I can. <laughs> okay, let me try that again. When I'm living my life based on my selfishness, self-centeredness, it's the root of my trouble. So I'm driven by a hundred forms, fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. I'm going to step on the toes of my fellows, column one, and they're going to retaliate, column two. Sometimes they hurt me, column three, seem without provocation, but I will invariably find that sometime in the past I've made decisions based on self, column four, which later placed me in a position to be hurt. And the greatest statement of hope in the book so far is the next line. My troubles are of my own making, and you have to mark that and come back to it before the fourth column. And don't go into the fourth column until you've seen the positive side to our troubles are of our own making. The statement that, that troubles are my own making is where you're going to, we're going to look at the third column, where you're being driven by your self-will. These, these troubles arise out of myself. They arise within me, being driven by self. And I am an extreme example of self-will run riot. Comma, though I usually don't think so, because I'm in self-delusion. Now, it says, above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. Now, what do you think they meant by above everything? You don't think they meant... Now, let me get this right. What do you think they... Above everything. I mean, I wonder what that means. It couldn't possibly mean... And then it goes on to say, this might explain it more... We must or it will kill me. Now, let me get this right. 
kill me could actually mean like. And then, unfortunately, our name is not in the next sentence. God makes that possible. Well, maybe that is my name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, nobody else in the room is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're all laughing at him, right? <laughs> I'm the only one that's ever seen that in inventory, I think I am God in the third column, right? <laughs> Don't miss the next session because we're going to have more fun with inventory than you've ever had in your life. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. I have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but I cannot live up to them even though I would like to. Neither can I reduce my self-centeredness by wishing or trying on my power. I had to have God's help. They raised the question on the previous page, two pages ago. Uh, we decide to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by making that decision, and just what do we do to make that decision? This next paragraph answers it. This is the how, how you do it, and the why, what they mean by it. First of all, they're going to tell you how, uh, why you need to decide to turn your will and your life over, what they mean by making this decision. Why? Why do I need to? First of all, I need to quit playing God. It doesn't work. That's why. That's why I need to make the third step decision. Because me playing God, and he just gave you two or three pages that describe you playing God, does not work. If playing God works, you don't need to make this decision. If running your life on your will works, you don't need to make this decision. But if you're convinced of not only the ABCs, but the first requirement, and that your life run on your will does not work, and you can see why, and you can see you need to quit playing God because it doesn't work, then you're ready to make the decision. And they tell you exactly how to make it. This next sentence or three is the third step decision. We decide from hereafter, in this life, God is going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept is the keystone. Now we've gone from the first stone put into the foundation, which was my second step, page 47. We've put some more stones in. We are now at the top of this, this arch, through which we're going to pass to freedom, the keystone, is my third step decision. Of the new and triumphant arch through which we'll pass to freedom. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to, Mark's gonna, we're gonna do a few moments of silence. Mark's gonna take us through a guided meditation on the third step decision. Try to go to a quiet place within. Try to see that place other than in your head. My first time when I did this with my sponsor, every promise that we're about to experience, each in our own way, happened. There's promises here at the third step based on making this decision before we even do the prayer together. There's some promises. Every one of these promises happened the first time I sincerely made this third step decision. And he asked me to find a quiet place within, try to see it other than in my head, and I saw a picture of a crater lake where I had lived on a commune when I was a hippie in Bo outside of Boulder, Colorado. And I sat by that lake, and I asked God to be there with me. And at that time, it was a bright light. And he sat there with me, and I made the third step decision. And I sat quietly. So, when we get each in our own way to that quiet place within, I want you to consider six terms. <coughs> Three about yourself and three about God. 
before that, he will take us through the ABCs. He will take us through what we need to be convinced of before the third step requirement. He will take us through the third step requirement. He will take us up to the decision, and he'll mention six terms. Me being the actor who no longer wants to run the show, an agent of God, and a child of God. He'll mention God being the director, principal, and the father. And we'll also look at those in relationship to each other. What would it really mean for God to be my director and me to be his actor? What would it really mean for him to be my principal and for me to be his agent? And what would it really mean for him to be my father that I always wanted? Not some old conception. For him to be my father and me to be his child. And that's the one that Don told me if it could ever go from my head to my heart. And there's been times that it has. If that simple realization could go from my head to my heart that I am a child of God, I would never have a problem with low self-esteem ever again because there would never be anything I could get, acquire, accomplish, earn, be given, or get that would ever transcend the realization from my head to my heart that I am a child of God. And each in our own way, I would encourage you, if you feel you're ready, if you're convinced of three pertinent ideas in the ABCs, If you're convinced of the third step requirement and you're convinced that you're ready to make this decision, to make it. And then we'll check out the promises and we'll see what we want to do with the prayer. Okay, if you get your feet on the floor, put your hands on your legs, just close your eyes, breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth, take a deep breath. Notice a couple things, those of you that are aware of energy. Notice the shift that's taken place since we ended the first step and moved into step two and three, both internally and those of you that are aware of energy in the room. Notice how there's been a shift in the room since we finished the first step. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us as a spiritual body to fulfill the promise that we're two or more gathered in your name. Be with us as we consider some things and then sit quietly with this decision that we're going to make. Help us to understand, Father, that we're alcoholic and that we cannot manage our own life experientially. That no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, Father, and help us to come current with us at this moment and in this time in our heart. Help us to understand, Father, that you can and will if we're willing to seek you. And if we're convinced of those ABCs, Father, we're now at a place where we have to make a decision to turn our will and our life over to you. And we ask ourselves the question, what do we mean by that and how do we do that? And experientially, Father, help us to get current with our life to answer the question, are we convinced that our life running our will doesn't work? That our attempts to run our life and our will by self-propulsion have us in conflict, Father. You know, what we wind up being is trying to run the show, to be the actor who wants to run the whole thing. And help us to understand, Father, that that isn't going to work, and that it hasn't worked. And that, <clears throat> Father, that when we don't get our way, we're going to become either demanding or gracious, and that even when our motives are kind, driven by self-will, that we're still going to be in conflict, Father. And help us to see that our very best we're going to create confusion instead of harmony. And that most of the time, Father, when we're driven by self-will, all we're concerned with is ourselves and our resentments and our self-pity. 
than to experience the misery of living a life being driven by self-will and knowing there's nothing we can do about it. Help us to understand that regardless of how long we've been sober, that selfishness, self-centeredness is still the root of our problem. And the troubles of our own making, Father, and help us to understand what it's like to be being driven through life by our self-will, driven by our fears and by our self-delusions, and by our self-seeking and by our self-pity. And when that happens, Father, <clears throat> we step on the toes of others and they begin to retaliate. And again, make us understand, Father, that our troubles are our own making. And when we're being driven by self-will, there is no choice in our life. And we take a series of actions we maybe not even want to take and help us to understand that. Help us to understand that above everything that we must be rid of this selfishness. That we must, Father, and it will kill us. Help us to look at our experience to come to the conclusion that only you can make that possible. That we've had moral and philosophical convictions galore about wishing to change how we've been with the selfishness and self-centeredness. But no matter how much we wish and how much we try, we can't do anything about it on our own power, Father. To understand experientially that our self-will cannot eliminate our self-will. And that we had to have your help. So now we're going to understand the how and the why of it, Father. And the reason, Father, that why we're going to do this is because if our life running our self-will just doesn't work. And how, Father, is we're willing to finish playing God and to stop playing God. And to let you run the show. And now we're going to sit, Father, for a few minutes with this decision. This incredible decision, Father, that from hereafter in this drama called life, that you're going to be the director in our life and that we're going to be the actor. That you're going to be the principal and that we're going to be the agent. And that you're going to be our father and we're going to be your children. And to understand, Father, those three relationships, that you're going to be the director the principal and the father, and that we're going to be the actor, and we're going to be the agent, and that we're going to be your child, and that this is going to be the keystone of the spiritual arch, and that from this moment on for the rest of our lives, that we can rest on this, help us to sit with that father and imagine what that would be like. Unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so now we're going to get down to the causes and conditions. Don't let that confuse you. On the next page, because they call the second column the cause, that's not going to where you find the cause of your alcoholism. Matter of fact, you're not going to find the cause in any of the first three columns. You're going to find the condition of it in the third column and the cause in the fourth column. Uh... It also tells you what inventory is. Inventory is a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in yourself which have been blocking you. My sponsor told me there's two ways to go into inventory. Tell a little kid to go down in the basement and clean his room, and all he thinks he can do is go down in that place and move that stuff around and rearrange it. It will be a terrible job. If you tell that same little kid to go down in his room and throw out all the old stuff he doesn't want anymore for all new stuff, it'll be a wonderful job. That's the attitude to go into inventory with. Why is there no amen at the end of the third step prayer, but there's an amen at the end of the seventh step prayer? I got up off my knees and I asked my sponsor, and he said, great question. He said, it's been my experience that there is no amen at the end of the third step prayer because everything from that prayer to that prayer is all part of one prayer. And from there, you're safe and protected. 
and it's been my experience. Every time I've ever taken the third step, I'm safe and protected. I've never been hurt in three through seven. I've balked. I've paid a price. Never been hurt. I've been safe and protected every time I've ever been from the end of that third step prayer to the end of the seventh step prayer where the amen is. I also got up off my knees and I asked the greatest question you could ever learn to ask in Alcoholics Anonymous. If that was just a decision, how do I turn it over? The biggest mystery nowadays in Alcoholics Anonymous, you share some terrible problem from the podium and some old guy in the back of the room goes, ah, just turn it over. You want to take him and you want to strangle him really slowly and you want to say, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be here. How do you turn it over? And they go, well, just they'll keep, 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 keep coming back, right? And I got up off my knees and I said, if that was just a decision, how do you turn it over? And he said, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Acts against the will, contrary to the way you've lived your life. So there's the third step paradox. How do you turn your will and your life over to the care of God? By taking action contrary to your will and against the way you've lived your life. It's how you turn your will and your life over. We're going to start on a personal inventory. I love and I love that the inventory is to face and be rid of, not to face and cope with or deal with or work on. Inventory is to go down into that place and get rid of all the old stuff you don't want anymore that's blocking you from God, yourself, and others. And it's a joyous experience. We're going to start on a personal inventory. This is step four, a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. I heard a lady the other day, and she said, and a business that stays in inventory goes broke too. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding, searching, and a fact-facing, fearless process. It is an effort to discover the truth. Mark that, the truth. Inventory is an effort to discover truth. If you use inventory to seek truth, you are using inventory to seek God. God is truth. Inventory is not about seeing patterns or getting in touch with your feelings, although you will see patterns and you will get in touch with your feelings. Inventory is about seeking God. Keep that intent in place, and inventory will not become a self-help tool to solve problems with people in the first column. If inventory becomes a self-help tool to solve problems with people in the first column, all you'll end up with is a whole new line of bullshit and a brand new third column, whether it works or not, and Mark's going to show us how that works when you turn inventory into, so now I'll... You'll just create yourself in your own image. One object is to disclose damaged and unsaleable goods and to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If you are to be successful, you can't fool yourselves about values. What is it worth? You'll do the exact same thing with your life. You'll take stock honestly. First, you'll search out the flaws in your makeup which caused your failure. I heard a man say one time at a four-step workshop, that's where you take your hygienic inventory. And I thought I was going to faint. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated you, you'll consider its common manifestations. What are the common manifestations of self? Resentment, dishonesty, selfishness, self-seeking, and fear. They're going to take the first one first. <clears throat> Resentment is the number one. Defender. It. Important to know from now on when they use the word it, what they mean. Resentment is the, destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Now let me get this straight. Do they, do they, do they mean, do they really mean alcohol, uh, resentment destroys more alcoholics than anything else? 
even alcohol. From resentment stem all forms of spiritual disease. I never knew that. I thought resentment was mental and emotional because I thought about it and I felt it. They're telling me that resentment is a spiritual disease that shuts me off from the sunlight of the Spirit, myself, others, and God. For you have not only been mentally and physically ill, we've looked at that, but, uh, mental obsession, physical craving, you have been spiritually sick. That's all three parts of the first step. When, you, when the spiritual malady is overcome, you straighten out mentally and physically. Does that mean you can drink? No, that means the obsession would never happen again, therefore you would never take a drink. In dealing with resentments, you're going to set them on paper. You'll list people, institutions, and principles with whom you were angry. We'll talk about the fourth, I'm sorry, we'll talk about the first column. Mark that line. Don't go any further until you've made your list. That's the only instruction for the first column. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we were, keyword, well, I don't feel that way about that person anymore. If the name comes, put it down. It's a gift. It's one more thing God is giving you to give to him. That's an interesting. Second column, you're going to ask yourself why you were angry. Only line that describes the second column. Don't go past that instruction. Now we're at a point in the book, the first step of action. Don't go past any instruction until you've completed it. And then every promise that's outlined will come if you followed every instruction in order. Then in the third column, you're going to see seven things we're going to look for. First one is self-esteem. Second one is pocketbook. Third one is ambition. Fourth one is personal relations. We're hurt or threatened. Now there's a confusing paragraph because he repeats himself. On your grudge list, you'll set opposite each name you're interested in. Injuries. Self-esteem, we already have. Security is number five. Ambition, we already have. Personal relations, we have. Sex relations, we have which have been interfered with. Ah, number number six is sex relations. And number seven is all the way down at the bottom under my wife, and that is pride. So here's the seven. Self-esteem, pocketbook, ambition. Personal relations, sex relations, security, pride. You'll go back through your life. Nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. When you are finished, you will consider it carefully. That's how we're going to look at the third column. When, we're, when we are through with the first three columns, we're going to consider the third column carefully in what's called Theater of the Lie. I never knew for a long time, and I studied this book, and I did what's in this book for a long time until I saw that Bill gives you two ways of doing the second column. I like to do it the first way. Notice with Mr. Brown, he does one second column, pays attention to my wife, and then a third column. Told my wife about my mistress, and then a third column and then might get my job at the office, and then a third column. Notice under Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife, he lists several resentments all in a paragraph and only one third column. I like to do it the way, if you could put next to the word Mr. Brown, next to his, put A, told B, and Brown, C, I like, and the number one next to Mr. Brown, I like to number the resentments and I like to letter the second column. So it reads like this. Number one, Mr. Brown. A, pays attention to my wife. B, told my wife of my mistress. C, might get my job at the office. And for every second column, we're going to do a third column. And we are going to learn to write, as much as your ego won't like this, we are going to learn to write 
one resentment per page. Now, what, what would the ego like? The ego would like you to take a name off your list. You've made your list, people, institutions, and principles. You work on the list till you know you're done with the list. People are people, institutions are groups of people, or public service, or the phone company, or black people, or white people, or fat people, or ugly people, or Mexicans, Polacks, dumb people, beautiful people, smart people. Any institution, the institution of marriage, any institution you can think of. And principles are principles. Principles are values and beliefs you were raised with as a kid, and values and beliefs you've been told in AA you need to live by to stay sober that sometimes you resent. The interesting thing about principles Everyone I've ever resented, I've also resented its opposite. Love, hate. Selfishness, unselfishness. Truth, lies. So look at the opposites of those principles. When you're new, you don't have many principles, so there's not many to resent. After you've been around for a while, you have some principles because you don't always like them. Right? Uh, work on the list till you know it's done. I kept asking Don, how will I know when the list is done? He would say, you'll know when the list is done the day you know the list is done. That's all I can tell you. Some people need to get out 7800. I think it's a little self-indulgent, but I believe what comes out of your consciousness is all you can go with. And if you're praying and it's not self-will to keep it really short or to make it really long to impress somebody or yourself, and you go to that place and you review your first three steps, which we'll talk more and more and more about a technique to use every time you sit down to write inventory, takes a couple minutes. Some people like to read from the ABCs up to where they are in inventory. Review your, say a prayer, get centered. I like to use a prayer for inventory too. So now we also failed to mention drop the set aside prayer. Use the third step prayer and a prayer that works for you for inventory. I like to get my prayer from the top of that page and I'll usually write something across the top of the page. Uh, please help me face and be rid of the things in myself which are blocking me. Or, please help me see the truth. Whatever. Have a prayer for inventory. So you get centered. Say the third step. You say your inventory prayer. You work on your list until you know it's done. Practice going to that place and letting inventory come from there rather than from your head. Inventory is not meant to be figured out. And think of the difference. If I told you to go home, sit down, and write down the capitals of the 50 states, you would go home and it would be a mental exercise of remembering information that's in your mind. When your ego starts to go to your mind to find inventory, stop, get centered, go back to that place, use the first three steps that you do have as your vehicle to write an inventory, get back in that place, and inventory will start to come from there. The same place I told you about that new kind of prayer is going to come from. The words will start to come from your gut. Names that you have not remembered in 20 years and thank God for every name that's revealed to you because it's one more thing that he is giving to you to give back to him, to get free of. If the name comes, don't question it. We'll question it in the second column. And now I think we need the help of somebody who's willing to write on the board. Somebody? Somebody? No, we're going to no, 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 no. We're we're use you, you for one. So we need another volunteer. Okay. And we need, oh, and um, uh, Mark is going to take us through, uh, you're going to watch the inventory come alive in the room, and you'll have a better feel for the first three columns, and then you will hear some people that have written the fourth column. And um, I guess that's all I really wanted to say about the first three columns. 
and we are going to take the line, the line that we are going to use after all the instructions we've gone through and the example Bill gives us, the line that the people that we know that have been writing inventory for years and years, and what he's going to show you with the third column, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you just put the word. So you will hear one from somebody when we get somebody to read one, how it should sound if you just put the third column word. If you get how to write the third column ex explanations, it will change your experience with yourself, your ego, and inventory. From now on, you'll never see inventory the same. And the line that they came to where they started to consider the third column is at the bottom of 65, when we were finished, we considered it carefully. Let me give you a few tools to help you with inventory before we get into this. You know, one of the things that had to happen for me, if you're like me, you sit in AA and you begin to develop a belief system about inventory based on what you're hearing in meetings like it's some terrible, arduous thing, right? Oh, I'm in inventory, an inventory, an inventory. Well, <clears throat> based on everything we've seen in the book and coming up to this place in time, if in fact that you've got lack of power as your dilemma based on step one, where and how you're going to find the powers deep down within yourself, but you're blocked by what? By the things you're going to see in inventory, then how can you not get excited about writing inventory? So the first thing that had to happen is my belief system about inventory had to change. I had loved to write inventory today because I know what the hell I'm doing. You see? I know what I'm doing. I know my life depends on it. Face and be rid of. This is some other tools I want to give you when you're writing inventory. Every time I sit down to write inventory, I go from the ABCs to the third step prayer. I say the prayer, and then I always write a prayer at the top of my page. God help me to see the truth. Now, the reason you're going to go from the ABCs to the third step prayer is because now you've got the chain of steps one, two, and three. They are states of consciousness. You must have this chain if you're going to do the fourth step. So if you'll go from the ABCs to the third step prayer, you'll have that chain of steps one, two, three to take you into the fourth step. The other thing about the fourth step is give it, give it some class. We're talking about power here. We're talking about real power. Buy a nice notebook. Buy a ruler. Give it some class. When you are done writing inventory, if you're going to take a break, half hour, or you're done for the night, sit and get still. 5, 10, 15 minutes, ask God to take you out of the state of consciousness you were in when you're writing inventory. Inventory is about a state of consciousness that you get taken to if you've done the work in 1, 2, 3. Don't take that out into the world. Oh, I'm writing inventory. So I can screw everybody over all day and come to the meeting and tell everybody I'm in inventory. Right? You don't have to drag it around into your life. I'll also tell you this, and we've seen this over and over and over. If you sincerely, at any kind of level, take the third step and not put the inventory down in black and white, if you're not putting it down in black and white, it will manifest itself in your life in color. Okay, so let's do something then. Let's start with uh, putting some inventory up on the board, and then we're going to do this thing called uh, Theater of the Lie. So we'll start with, what, what is your first name? Valerie? Okay. Uh, who's in column one? What are you going to do, Joe? Oh, who's in column one? Brian. Brian. Put Brian's name up there. Well, let's hear it. It's what you want to work All right. What's, it, what's in column two? Why are you resentful? Oh, well, that's great. You might as well just come 
That's a great one. That's a great one. Number number one. Okay. If I get up and move around, what will this follow me? Or do I need to pick this with me? Okay, hold on. Mine have any sweat? Okay, Brent, uh, what's what's column two again? Okay. You don't put I'm right. He doesn't. He doesn't believe like I do. Could you be more specific about what it is? Okay, good. Well, let's get get specific. He doesn't believe that I have to work the steps out of the book. Okay. All right. So he doesn't believe you have to work the steps more than one time. Okay. He believes that I have to only go through steps one through nine once. Correct? That's your second column? Keep in mind at home, she's done two things before we now look at the third column. She's taken, just imagine a whole separate notebook, and she has in that notebook done the list. People, institutions, and principles. That was her first column. And she's worked on that list until she knows it's done. Then she's taken every one of those one at a time on another pad, and she's done all the second column on everybody. And now with that pad that has her first and second column, she's taking the first one off the pad and just the first resentment. Keep in mind with Brian, if you have four resentments for Brian, there'll be four pages. Yeah. One page for every second column. It occurred to me one day mathematically why I'm going to die an alcoholic death if I don't get rid of resentments. Let me give you an example. You sit down and write column one the first time through, you're going to have 50 to 100 names, right? Now the resentments are in column two. Normally, I always had three resentments with every name. So let's say I had 100 names. Three times 100, I got 300 resentments, right? I'm going to write a third column on every one of the 300 resentments. There are seven areas of my life that are affected. On every resentment, at least five areas of the seven are affected. So 300 times five is 1,500 areas of my life affected. And that's down in my stomach. And as I get up and go through my day, the slightest incident that even resembles any one of those 1,500 non-crazy is a pet coon. And we, we wonder why, if you don't do a lot of work with inventory, why you get in bad shape in Alcoholics Anonymous. Let me ask some other questions about Brian. Is he a friend of yours? Oh, okay. Put put that down. He's my he's my lover. She didn't even say boyfriend. Did you notice that? Huh? No, no. You use the word we want to work with. He's my he's my lover. Now, what what else? Why are why else are you resentful, Brian? Okay, she's resentful. Uh, let's see. Here's what she's. Re- I'm resentful because he doesn't agree with me. Is the second column. By the way, let me tell you something about the second column. You're looking for truth. God is truth. What you see in the third and fourth column will always come off the second column. Avoid words like always, never. For example, you'll see this. Like, for example, she said to me, Brian never agrees with me. She's lying. That is not the truth. No, I'm using this as an example. When you're writing inventory in the second column, 
we're looking for truth. You'll see, here's another example where I see this a lot around mommy and daddy. They were never there for me in column two. How many of you have written that? Come on. Okay. The rest of you liars. So here's the way it looks, column two. They were never there for me. So if that was true, that means you were born, they left, and you never saw them again. Is that the way that was? No, but it's a great story to tell in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, isn't it? The second column is about truth. We're looking for truth. What you see in the third and fourth comes from the truth of the second. So we can see right now that we've got, we got some, some characters. And I want to tell you something about the third column. When we begin to look at the third column, first of all, tell us what areas of it were affected behind uh, uh, he believes I have to do steps one through nine only once. He disagrees. So what areas of your life are affected in the third column? Okay, right, just write self-esteem. Self-esteem, being. Say to yourself, when I resent Brian for telling me I only have to do one through nine once, does it affect how I see or feel about me? Does it hurt, threaten, or interfere? And the self-esteem is who she thinks she is, right? Right? When he does that, does it it affect your pride, how others see or feel about you? Yeah. Pride. Yeah, for God's sake, you got Miss A.A. who does the steps, hanging out with the son of a bitch who believes you can maintain in 10, 11, and 12. Does it affect what you want? When he tells you that, does it affect your agenda, what you want? Absolutely. Your ambition? I want him to agree completely with everything. When he tells you that, when he doesn't agree with you, see, both are about him, not, this could be one to them. Uh, when he does that, does it affect what you need? That's your security. security, what she what she needs to be okay. She needs for him to agree. That's where we're going to find it's about life and death for her ego uh, personality to continue to exist. They're being threatened. What about your sex relations with him? Are they interfered when he does that? Sex relations is sex. Re- Wait a second. Sex, sex, sex relations have to do with her concept and belief systems around men. And normally it would begin like this: the man in my life should agree with me. Sex relations is up there. After all, he's tasted the waters of the Nile. No other water will quench his thirst. Personal relations are affected. That's that's personal relations would be same sex relations. My friend should not see my lover. She didn't even use the term boyfriend, by the way. This is her lover. You are gonna you're gonna see that in a minute. Okay, here's what we got. So here's what we got. Pocketbook. 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 Not willing to pay the price to put pocketbook. So all seven areas are affected because Brian, her lover, does not agree with her about how you're supposed to live the spiritual life and work the steps, right? All seven areas of her life are affected by this, correct? Now, when we do theater of the lie, and by the way, I'm going to mention this because we're taping it. This is not in the big book. This is uh, something that's been written about for a long, long time. And some group of some, yeah, she can she can smell what the hell's coming on here. There's a group of, of people in Denver, Colorado, that are probably doing more work with these steps than any group I've ever seen. I've interacted with some of these people. 
their level of consciousness with God is at a level I've never seen by anyone else in this program, and that's my experience with them. And they begin to really ask themselves what the hell the book means when it says in this third column we considered it carefully. So when we look at the other lie, here's what I want you to understand. The third column, everything she wrote in the third column is about her being, being, B-E-I-N-G, being. It is not what she believes. It is about her being, okay? So I want to start with something. I can see that her ego has manufactured several characters that wrote this and whose being is threatened. The first is we need a lover. Just picks on up here. Come on up here. Okay, all right. So we got a lover. Now, obviously, we also got Miss AA. Loretta, come on up here. Miss AA knows how to work the steps, you know. Now, we need a broom Hilda. Broom Hilda, that son of a bitch will agree with me. Who's, give me a broom Hilda here. Call a broom Hilda. Come on up here. Now, now we got the, now we got the, the little sex goddess roaming around here. So, come on up, me little sex goddess. You've heard about the committee? Yeah, you, we've been doing group therapy alone in a car going down the road for years. What do you guys think? Well, I think we ought to do, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. Now, do you see anyone else in there, Joe, for now? He's her lover. We know we got Miss AA, right? Who else do we have? This is all self-esteem. When I resent Brian for telling me you only have to do one through nine once, it affects my self-esteem because I believe I am okay. a lover, now, a, a great controller, and a sex guy. Right, write these. Yeah. All under self-esteem. Right, right, just write these name, names here. Right, lover? I am. Okay. Right, lover. You're going to start words with I am. Right, lover, then write Miss A.A. Right, lover slash Miss A.A. Okay, sex goddess, the little princess. And who is who is the who is the old Broom Hilda? Great controller. The great controller, Broom Hilda. So let me let me explain to you the tragedy of this and, and where the hell this second column is coming from. Okay, first of all, Miss A.A. When she is in that part of her being, being, Miss A.A., when her boyfriend, her lover, does not agree with her, her life is threatened. Because Miss A.A. has a script, and everyone who is in her life, not only her poor lover, but every woman and every man in A.A. who does not follow her script of how the hell you're supposed to live this program, they're going to be on a second column. Her being is threatened because he will not follow her script. You follow this? Not only that, let's look at the lover. You know what she needs to be okay? She needs a lover who agrees. You follow this? You see? A lover, a lover in her life has to agree with her, has to agree with her ideas, has to agree with her concepts. Okay? Now what, what's Broomhilda in the control? She's gonna set this son of a bitch right. Trust me, every day she's working on a plan to get him to agree with doing these steps over and over and over again, isn't she? Broom Hilda will set this thing right. Now the sex goddess, she's back to the same thing. She needs a lover. If she's gonna, if, if for God, if she's gonna let him taste the waters of the Nile, he's got to be in agreement with her completely all the time. 
And this is the damn tragedy of the ego, because none of this is true. None of this is who she really is. This is about her. This is literally life-threatening stuff to her. Do you understand this? Okay. So yeah, let's go around him. Okay. So you, he's the lover, right? He's the lover. How would? Well, let's go first to Miss AA. Why are you mad, Miss AA? It, it got to do it this way. Yeah, it's got to do it this way. Sex goddess, what are you? What would you say about this? Right. And if he wants more, by God, he better start getting in line with me. Broom Hilda, what what are you going to say? Bingo. Or if he'd agree with the way that I say he should do this. Right? When she said, I don't think like that, the scary thing is some of the personalities don't know the other ones even exist. Now, the lover. What's the lover going to say? He's my lover, right? What's the matter with her? See, and here's the tragedy. When, when you begin to look at the third column, the right third column like this, it takes the second column and turns it into a lie. It turns it into an absolute lie. And the reason is because you're starting to see a hell of a lot more truth in the third column. The truth is Brian doesn't need to agree with her at all. He's just fine. Here's what God said to me. Mark, I want you to love me with all your heart and love my neighbor as myself. God says to me, Mark, what she's supposed to be to Brian is kind, loving, honoring, self-sacrificing. He's not here to fit some goddamn script she's made up for him. And she can't beat this thing. She cannot beat this thing. Her being is threatened. Her very being is threatened, which is why she has this second column. Do you understand what I'm saying here? And this is the tragedy of this whole thing right here. Oh, uh, well, oh, pride. Well, no one, no one should see Miss A. Miss A, where's your pride in in this? What are they going to think? Miss A.A. is hanging out with the middle of the rotor, for God's sakes. <laughs> Shit, I'll never get asked to speak. Huh? See, no one, no one should know this. She wants to hide the son of a bitch in the closet till she needs him. Till the little sex goddess needs him. Right? You follow me? You see? See, well, let's see. Pride. Let's see, what about, what else, uh, Broomhilda, where are you at with pride, Broomhilda? Um, that's what Broomhilda would do, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, here's something else that's interesting, carried out further, carried out to amends. What are the reasons these people don't have to make amends? Miss A.A., how come you don't have to make amends to him? <laughs> She's going to wait till he gets enlightened, works the steps, and comes and makes amends, right? How about the sex goddess? How come you're not going to make amends? <laughs> Makes sense? Four through nine is designed for these personalities to die and for you to become at one. 
So you don't have a different personality for this and a different personality for this. Those personalities must die, and 4 through 9 is about becoming at one. And let me let me show you something. Now, let's take a look for a minute at the fourth column. Because the actions you're going to take in the fourth column come from the scripts that these characters have, right? So what's, what has Miss A.A. done behind this resentment to Brian? Yeah. Have you argued with him? So in the fourth column, we're going to look at where we're at, right? Over on the left, like we did the other one. Selfish. Did you write a fourth column? Tell it, tell it, read it to us. What do you have? She says, I only care about being right and important. I am God. He must agree with me. Okay, let's go ahead. Bullshit. She doesn't just want his approval. She wants him to do exactly what she's doing and agree with him completely. That's a lie. Yeah, that's the, yeah. It's dishonest. Well, yeah, so... That's okay. Go ahead. Just read what else you have. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are your fears? Are your fears that he may be right and you may be wrong? What are the fears you have? Fear that you won't look good because you were, you were with a man who's middle of the road, by your in your opinion? Right, that's part of it, and also being alone. Fear, oh, fear of being alone. She's going to accept middle of the road, for God's sakes, rather than be alone. No agnosticism in that one, right? And that there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with him if he doesn't believe. Ah, something wrong with me if he doesn't believe the way I believe. Do you see the tragedy of this? This is a great one. It looks so simple and it looks so easy. You see the tragedy in this? You hear what she just said in her fourth columns? She's talking about the entire relationship being threatened. She's literally talking about she has the idea that what this book has said in her experience may be completely wrong. She has the fear that he may leave. She has the fear of what other people are going to think because he isn't in agreement with her. All of this off a little second column that just says, I resent him. It's no big deal, Mark. I just don't. He doesn't agree with me. And with this many personalities, you wonder why relationships don't work and they're confused, especially if he's an alcoholic and one morning her overachiever wakes up to his lover or Miss AA, who's now totally spiritual, wakes up with his, and they just never match unless it's the right personality on the right day with his right personality on the right day. And you wonder, with all these personalities going on, why you're having trouble with personal relationships. That's why you're having trouble with personal relationships. And the third column is a reflection of the belief system that you're making decisions based on that later place you in a position to be hurt. These are the belief systems you're making decisions based on. She's making decisions and taking actions based on belief systems. They're driving her life. Hell, you know that, just imagine when they go to bed at night, the probability of Romeo meeting the sex goddess are slim and none. She's been out one night working with a woman, so the spiritual woman, Miss A.A., comes home. She's hooked up to God. Well, that particular night, for whatever reason, Romeo got real active. They come to bed. Do you think we're going to have a little problem? And then he's out one night, because he's worked the steps one time, and he's working. 
but the little sex goddess gets active and she wants to get laid. She comes to bed and the month to be comes to bed. You think we'll have a problem? The chances of them ever hooking up are called slim to none. I can say, I ain't been around her long, but I can see her in the morning. Set the alarm, I'm gonna get up at 5, gonna do prayer meditation, 5 to 5.15, gonna make love, 5.15, 5.18, gonna get in the shower, gonna be out of the way to work. Gotta get in the car, be driving down the road. Screw that son of a bitch, he's gotta get out of my way. Come into the office, the phone's ringing, going off the hook. 12 o'clock, go to a meeting, a new person there needs help, screw the new person, gotta get back to work. Miss Achiever just driving the shit out of her, right? Does that till about 4, 4.30, she's on the way, gotta get home, gotta get to a meeting, somebody's in her way, run the son of a bitch over. Now, here, here's where she comes in her first major dilemma. If she walks in the door, she's got Mrs. Cheever. She went to a new meeting. She's got about 19 things going on, and he says hi to her. He don't have a clue who the hell's standing in front of him. She might say something like, why do you treat me like that? He's going, what in the hell is wrong with you? She says, you never understood me. Who? Who is she trying to understand? But when you, here's what I do when I write my third column. Now. I see my resentment in the second column. I ask God to help me write the truth. We've got a good second column. And here's what I say. What being, what characters were affected by this second column? And they just start coming to me. If I went into your home, I could look at your books and magazines, and I could tell your five or six most dominant characters. Who in the hell you think you are? It's who you think you are. It's not who you are. How many of you have had a relationship in and thought you were going to die? Everybody raise your hand. Those who don't are liars. You know why? Because if her identity, she, and she talked about this, this is a strong one. She thinks she's gonna die if she don't have a lover in her life. So if he leaves, it's life threatening to her, isn't it? How many of you men have lost a career and it damn near took you out here? You know why? You think it's who the hell you are. You think that what you do is who you are. It's not. And if he does something that threatens her security, what she should write next to security would be there, I need him to agree with me to exist. And who needs that to be agreed with to exist? Miss A.A. I need him to be in my life to exist. And with security, it's always life and death. The life and death of the main personality that we put on the upper right-hand corner. So why don't we try another one, and we'll fill it all in, and we'll put something different in the right-hand corner. Why don't you find a new second Okay. Every, everybody see? Everybody see, and she talked about, here's the power of this. They had a five-hour debate over this, for God's sakes, and you know why? Actually, five's a short window of time, because her very being was being threatened. Do you think I would sit and debate with a woman for five hours? Was she on to only work one through nine, live in 10, 11, 12? Sorry. Joe kids me a lot about my relationships, but I, uh, one of my beings, one of the characters was the husband. And, and he first came to life in me in 1972. And I'd get out of a relationship and I'd be married a month later. You know why? Because in that short month, a part of me thought it was going to die. That son of a bitch just sat over in the wings doing push-ups, looking for the next wife. Because I have to be married for him to exist. How many of you have gone in and out of relationships, in and out, in and out? Everybody raise your hand. Those that don't are lying. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think we can't take a year, two, three, like these other people do? You know, a marriage ends or, or a relationship ends and they go to a therapist and the therapist says, you need to really take a year and just kind of, and they do that shit. Not me. You know why? Because I think being in a relationship, I think I'm going to die if I'm not in one. 
That's where I get my identity. Give us another volunteer. Who was the one that wrote one about Joe? Come on up. No, we better hear the second column first. What's the second column? <laughs> He's still on this one. Can we work with that one? He's never gotten free of this yet. Okay, go ahead and sit down. So column one's Joe. Wait a minute, give her just a minute. Okay. Let me just share a quick one. Uh, this, this is, this just a week ago, I walked into, uh, the big book thing and I was going to do some stuff on step one and I was wearing my Vietnam veteran hat. And one of the patients looked at me and he says, Mark, and keep in mind, I, I just, I basically have just finished my column one. I know I'm done. Here's what he says to me. He says, Mark, did you enlist when you went to Vietnam? And I, I looked right at him and I, and this is, this is how quick this happened for me. I said, Column one, Scott. Column two, the son of a bitch accused me of enlisting in the military. Column three, I am superior. I am smarter than that. Pride, no one should ever think I'm dumb enough to enlist in the military. Personal relations, other men defer and respect me. Other men don't think I'm that stupid. Sex relationship, real men don't allow, would never enlist in the army. They're too damn dumb to do that. Ambition. I want everyone to think I'm smarter than that. Security. I need him to think I'm smarter than that to be okay. Boom. Just like that. See what my third column was? You see how fast that, that can work? And, and how quick I, I picked up on that? When he said that, immediately, I mean, I, I, I'm writing inventory, so there's a state of consciousness, and that came right out of my mouth. Because when he said that to me, I was threatened. You see, his second column, the new one, his, this new one, when I made my second set of tapes, I said the first set was bullshit. His second column's not clear enough to write inventory. Yeah. His but, second column has to be said something that threatened my current beliefs. Right. So what's the truth in the second column? What, what's really going on here? We smell more. He threatened my experience with the steps. Okay. So column two is he made a comment that threatened what my experience with the steps? 